Well, church, today we want to continue where we left off last week, applicationally, where we were talking about how to engage a dark world. And today we really got to understand why the world is in darkness. This is the dark world that we engage. Also, the reasons why we were saved from such a darkness. And it is truly the grace of God that propels us forward. It was Albert Einstein who once said, quote, if I were given one hour to save the planet, I would spend 59 minutes defining the problem and one minute resolving it. Einstein was not a Christian, but his statement is to the point. Oftentimes, we fail to identify the problem. We rush to present solutions to surface issues, and what's the result of that? Is that we haven't solved the problem, right? We're still dealing with the same problem that's at hand. You see, if you can't identify the real problem, you will not seek the right solution. This was the case for Israel. Israel thought that their biggest problem was Rome. For those who have ears to hear, let you hear. But their biggest problem was sin. Israel had a sin problem, but her spiritual leaders made it into a state problem. So rather than seeking a Messiah who would save them from sin, they sought a Messiah that would save them from Caesar. We see this even today, where preachers today, rather than preaching Christ crucified, spend their time preaching Christ elected. If we believe that the government is our biggest problem, then we will look for a political Messiah. But if we believe that sin is our biggest problem, then we will look for a crucified Messiah. You see, Israel could not and would not receive a crucified Messiah, and that is part of the biggest problem. As a nation, Israel today remains spiritually blind at a human level, but at a divine level, everything is unfolding according to God's sovereign plan. So today I want to speak to this idea. If you are blind to the true problem, you will look for a false solution. Let me say that again. If you're blind to the true problem, you will look for a false solution. If we're going to engage a world of darkness, we need to not just recognize the problems in society, but we need to recognize the heart of the problem. Why do people believe what they believe? Why are people's minds shaped in a certain way? And how we as Christians have the greatest weapon in the gospel, but we need to deploy that weapon properly. I've entitled our sermon, Eyes to See and Hearts to Believe. Eyes to see and hearts to believe. Our passage today speaks to the reasons and the repercussions for rejecting God's Son. Meet me now in John chapter 12, if you have God's Word. John chapter 12. Our passage assigned today is verses 37 to 50. I'll spend most of our time in 37 to 43, where we're going to see the reasons why people reject Christ. We'll see how the Spirit leads, and if time permits, we will get into 44 to 50. You see, what happened is that by Friday noon, the outlines do. Friday noon, we put together our outline to the best of our ability, send it to the office for print. 
But sometimes, Saturday evening or Sunday morning, the Spirit speaks and gives us, as preachers, greater clarity. We get a message from the Lord. And so the message that I'm seeing is that it might be clearer if we don't cover verses 44 to 50, but we'll see how the Spirit leads as we move along because there's a lot of heavy content in verses 37 to 43. Well, with that, let's go to point number one. Point number one is reasons people reject Christ. And there are three reasons. There are three reasons. We'll take them one at a time. In verses 37 to 43, Jesus explains why the Jews of his day reject him despite seeing many signs and miracles performed by him. So if you're one of those people who are deceived into thinking, if Jesus came today and if he started healing you and your family members that you would actually believe in him, false. The word of God challenges you today. If Jesus showed up today and did all kinds of miracles, people would still not believe him. They would still not believe him. If you said, if I just heard God, if I could just see him with my eyes, I would believe. That's not true. There are people who knew about his coming, who read about the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. They witnessed Jesus performing miracles and speaking to them, yet they rejected him. And the first reason why people reject Christ is because of the fulfillment of Scripture. The fulfillment of Scripture. Scripture predicts that people would reject Christ even after seeing his many signs. Look with me now in John 12, verses 37 and 38, where we see this. This is what John writes. It says, though he had done so many signs, not just one sign, not just two signs, so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Why? Verse 38, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The reason why they remain blind, even though Jesus showed up in front of their very faces, is to fulfill scripture. And notice what scripture it's quoting. It's quoting Isaiah 53, verse 1. Isaiah 53, verse 1. It says, Lord, who has believed what he had heard from us And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now the arm of the Lord, this was a phrase used to describe the power of God. So just think when the Lord flexes his arm, it shows his power, right? The arm of the Lord reveals his power. And what John is saying is that many in Jesus' day, they could not see the power of God. They could not see it even though Jesus was exercising the power of God in his signs and his miracles. You see, the prophet Isaiah predicted that the people would reject the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, in a larger context, talks about the suffering servant of the Lord going to the cross to die for sins. It speaks of this prophetically, predicting it, and Jesus comes and reveals more and fulfills Isaiah 53. And so the Jews of Jesus' day would, in fact, reject the arm of the Lord. They would reject the work of the Lord, and they would reject the mighty power of God displayed in his Son. That's the Jews here in the Gospel of John. They fulfill the prophetic words of Isaiah. So that's point number one. Point number one, I mean, reason, the first reason under point number one, the first reason why people reject Christ is because of the fulfillment of Scripture. Now, the second reason is because of the sovereignty of God, and we see this in verses 39 and 40. And I want you to see that this gets even more devastating. It says this, therefore, they could not believe. Wait, come again? You look at the words on the screen. You don't believe me. Open up your Bibles and look for yourself. They could not believe. 
I don't get that, Jesus. You're calling people. Come to me. Come to me. Believe while you can. That's what Jesus is saying. Come while I'm the light. Walking around in darkness, you better come. And then here it says, they could not believe. Once again, it goes back to Scripture. I want you to see the sovereignty of God. It says, for again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes, hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and then I would heal them. Verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, what we see in verses 40 and 41 are references to Isaiah chapter 6. But let me first explain 41 because it's quick and easy. 40 takes a little bit more time. In Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1, Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord. And what John reveals to us here is that Isaiah actually saw the pre-incarnate Christ sitting in the th on the throne. The person who spoke to Isaiah was Jesus in his pre-incarnate glory. That's what it says in verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his, that's Jesus' glory, and spoke of Jesus. Now verse 40. Isaiah, the, the context of Isaiah 6 is that Isaiah was commissioned to speak of God's glory, but God made it clear to Isaiah that you're going to speak to these people, you're going to preach to these people, and they will never listen to you. But Isaiah, it's not because your message is wrong. It's not because your presentation is unclear. It's not because you are not able to speak. The reason why the people are going to reject you, Isaiah, is because their hearts will be hardened, they will be spiritually blind, and I will not enable them to see. So like Isaiah, Jesus knows that his message has not failed. You see, from a human perspective, it seems like failure. The Messiah of Israel arrives, and Israel rejects their Messiah. What a failure. But just like Isaiah, Isaiah knew that him proclaiming the truth and now Jesus proclaiming the truth is not failure because it's a fulfillment of God's plan. We see this even echoed later in Romans chapter, chapters 9 through 11 where we learn that Israel's rejection of Christ makes way for you and me, makes way for the Gentiles to come to salvation through Israel's Messiah. Now let's unpack verse 40. I want you to pay attention to verse 40, and I want you to notice the verbs. Notice first in verse 40, it says, he, that's, that's God, he has blinded. Has is a perfect in the English. In the original Greek, this is a perfect tense. Has blinded their eyes. And the voice, he has blinded, is an active voice, right? So this is a perfect active indicative in the original Greek, and that's important because the perfect tense speaks to a past event. This is a completed action that has ongoing and present results. That's the meaning of it. That means we don't know when, but if we read Ephesians 1, we can imagine that this was planned and decreed before the foundation of the world, that God has blinded the active voice means the person, the subject, is the one performing it. Now, here's why this is important. As I was writing out the sermon, I tried, before going to the Greek, to write out some type of compatibilism, which it is in play, doctrinally. I was looking at it like, oh, you know, the self-fulfilling prophecy type of thing. The thing where the Jews were freely rejecting Christ, and then God just so happened, so well, I'll just, well, they're rejecting Christ already, so I'll just plan 
that they've rejected Christ, this kind of mix of human freedom along with God's sovereignty. But as I looked at the original language, it did not allow me to make that type of interpretation. Because if that were the case, then the direct object would be, would, the, the voice would reject, uh, would uh, display the, the direct object, which would be the people, their eyes. But that's not the case. It's very clear that the subject matter is God and he has. He, God is the one doing the work, and it's done in the past. So it's not even God. It's not a participle. It's not a process. I was looking for a process. There is no process. There is no process of human beings saying, well, I am right now rejecting God, and God's saying, let me just finish that for you. No, no, it's in God's plan. He has blinded, and it gets even more. Look at, the, look at it. It says, and hardened. There's no has. Harden their heart is in the aorist tense. The aorist in the Greek conveys like you take a snapshot. Like if you take a picture and you just show the picture. It doesn't convey any process. It's just a snapshot that this event has happened at some time. And once again, Ephesians 1 tells us that this happened before the foundation of the world, that God has blinded and he has hardened. He hardened their heart at some time in history and I think here, this is where the ESV doesn't do as good of a job. Notice that the ESV, and, and the ESV is my favorite translation. It says, lest they see. The Greek there is a henna. It's not a hati, it's a henna. It's a henna with a negation. Henna may. And what that means is it's purposeful. It's not a result clause. It's not that they hardened their hearts, God completed the hardening, and the result was they could not see. That's not what it says. It's a hinna clause, which means it's the CSB translates it rightly. And surprisingly, the New Living Translation also translates it rightly. The Greek word is so that. So he has blinded their eyes, he's hardened their hearts so that they would not see. That's complete unilateral, the unilateral work of God. This is the complete divine agency where God is the one who's blinded the eyes of Israel. He's hardened their hearts. And that, this makes sense when it comes to Romans 9 through 11. So that they would not see and understand with their hearts and turn so that they wouldn't turn. God makes it impossible for these Jews to believe so that he can't heal them. And of course, we know that this means grace for the Gentiles. Now, I know that there are some commentators who don't like the sovereignty of God. They love human free will too much. So they'll read into this and say, this only applies to Israel. I don't know if you want to go that strong. I believe the word of God applies to all of us, right? We have to understand they could not believe. And if you're a Christian this morning, there's no disagreement that all of us would believe that we say we are not saved by the works of our hands nor the works of our hearts. None of us would walk around and say, hey, I figured out that Jesus is real and true, but my neighbor what an idiot, he can't figure it out. Because that's salvation by works. Oh, I listened to the preacher, and it made sense to me, but my neighbor, oh, they couldn't, so I'm better. 
No, 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 no. We are saved because the Holy Spirit touched our hearts, softened our hearts, and opened our eyes. There's not one single believer that does not believe that. And this talks about our inability to come to faith apart from the Holy Spirit touching our hearts. And that's what's happening here. That the Spirit of God is not breaking the scales, having the scales fall off the eyes of these Jews. He's not softening their hearts because God did not send his spirit to do so. You see, if you can understand this, then you will understand that the greatest problem we face in terms of spiritual darkness in this world is not a state problem. It is a problem of sin in the heart. And it is not just a certain type of sin. It is a sin that completely blinds. A sin that blinds people where they could not see Jesus even though Jesus is right before their eyes. And so some people will never turn to Christ because their hearts remain hardened, which means your strongest weapon is not petitions that you sign, but prayers that you pray. It is not petitions before the government. It is petitions before the throne of God. You see, it doesn't mean that we don't pray for our government. The, gov- the Bible tells us to pray for our government. It doesn't mean that we don't vote. It doesn't mean that we don't get involved. But you see in the political spectrum two extremes. You see on one side, people focusing so much on the social, uh, social response. Let's fix the structures of society. You see on the other hand, people on the other side going the other way and let's, let's strike down everything, right? But God never said that the secular world would act like spiritual people. He never said that darkness would govern like light. You see, humans outside of the church have no resources. They have resources, but they don't have the spiritual resource to do the work of God. That is why the strongest thing the church has is the proclamation of the gospel Along with the proclamation of the gospel, prayer. And that is why Christians' pulpits must be dedicated and centered to the proclamation of the gospel and not any other thing. Do not be deceived. Those of you who have ears to hear, you better hear. It's too easy for pastors, because I could do it too. I could do it too. To get up Sunday after Sunday and to say, hey, look how evil the world is. Look how bad our government is. Look how liberal things are. Look how, and then the whole time, everyone's saying, amen, amen, amen. You can fill up two services. Because then it places the blame in society on everybody else, except for the people sitting in the room. No longer are you dealing with sanctification or growing in Christ-likeness. It's too easy for pastors to gather a crowd over, look at how bad everybody else is, but we're good. We're good. You see, and that is what we refuse to do because we understand that the lost world is under a judicial hardening. That it's only by prayers and the power of the Spirit that eyes are opened and hearts are softened. Doctrinally, The Jews had no problem with sovereign election because they saw themselves as God's elect people. And so, doctrinally, the Jews had no problem with God's sovereign hardening. One commentator puts it this way. He said, it was a basic belief of the Jews that God is behind everything. They believed that nothing could happen outside the purpose of God. 
And if that is so, they were bound to believe that when people would not accept God's message, that the people's unbelief was still part of God's purpose. And all that goes to say is the Jews had no problem with the hardening of a heart. But the problem here is that they themselves were the ones whose hearts were hardened by God. And again, we are not saved by the works of our hands, nor the work of our hearts. You see, the inability to choose Christ apart from divine intervention goes even deeper. And here's what we ought to be preaching. Here's the deception. Here's the deception that the church today needs to address. Rather than focusing on darkness, acting like darkness, and condemning the darkness for being darkness, we need to look at the fear of Christians to be disciples. Let me give you the application before I hit you with the word. Here's the application. 20 years ago, you work in the workplace, and you say, hey, I go to church. And people will say, hey, that's respectable. They'll say, look, I don't believe in church, but you go do your religious thing. Okay? Nowadays, you go to the workplace, and you say, I go to church. I go to a Christian church. I go to a Southern Baptist church. You're canceled. Right, right there, you are attacked. And so because of the preaching that you hear, popular in conservative circles, you automatically believe that the problem is everybody else around you. Right? And then so you automatically you think, if only the government would fix this problem, these people who are in darkness would be more tolerant of light. Because 20 years ago, they were more tolerant. So then, again, well-meaning but deceptive, you think the solution to the world's problems is becoming a Christian nation when you know that the only way people change is becoming a Christian. Let me show you in the text. Verses 42 and 43. Here's part of the deception in the churches. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. Okay, so there are people, now we don't know how deeply they, they believe, but there are some of the Jewish Pharisees and leaders who believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. They were afraid of their colleagues. So they would not be put out of the synagogue. The problem is not that the synagogue should change. The synagogue's condemned. The problem is not that the Roman Empire needs to change. The problem is that these Christians need to be more bold, but they're afraid. Maybe their pastors are saying the government needs to change. Society needs to change. But their pastors should be saying, Christians, look in the mirror. Shine your light. 43. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Go back to the application. When the world no longer accepts us, then our conviction, right, is that the world needs to change. When in reality, the change happens within the heart, 
And the change happens in the Christian and in the church. One Bible teacher puts it this way. These people were seeking to carry out the impossible. They were trying to be secret disciples. Secret discipleship is a contradiction in terms for either the secrecy kills the discipleship or the discipleship kills the secrecy. A public confession of Christ would lead to public dishonor and shame. You would no longer be accepted by the elite Jewish society. Notice again in verse 42. Many even of the authorities, many even of the authorities desire to keep their positions within the Jewish power structure kept from Jesus. For they love the glory that comes from man more from the glory that comes from God. They wanted to keep their positions. If we want to keep our positions of honor, prestige, and power in society, then we will want to not disturb society. We might even believe in our hearts in Christianity, but we won't We'll be afraid. We won't speak the truth. We won't live for the truth. I'm telling you this morning that some of us need to be, even be willing to put out, be put out of our churches for preaching the truth. Because sometimes there's church people who don't want to hear the truth, right? The church people want to hear that everybody else is wrong. But when the reality is that we are the change agents, we are the change agents. Hear me once again today. Last week I mentioned that Jesus said, he put the light in us. And so God doesn't say the government's going to change. He doesn't say secular society is going to get brighter. He says the light is in you. If you want to change society, you and I go and face the darkness, and we take the hit. And remember, they crucified our Messiah. The schools are going to get darker. It is. So it's time for Christians not to expect the school district to change, but to expect that we get equipped to shine brighter, to be more winsome, to, to speak about common ground. A public confession of Christ will bring public dishonor and shame. We have to be okay to be canceled and dishonored by the public because we've taken responsibility to speak forth and we don't put the responsibilities either on the government or social programs or pol political parties or anything, but we put the onus back on the church to be the church. So we have to ask, what are the societal pressures that we face today? Where do we seek approval? Why are we seeking honor in society? You see, of course we want to be a light in the community. But the first thing you need in order to be a light in the community is the willingness that if you shine, that the community will not accept you. And if you get over that, then you'll be able to engage you'll be able to engage. Because if you're too afraid that once you open your mouth, the society won't accept you, then you'll never engage. You'll compromise. But if you already go out there saying, uh, you know, I think I can change society with my strong truth, then you're going to go out there and offend everyone to begin with. Society's heart is hardened towards God. This is the world where the prince... The prince of this world, Satan, is reigning in his fear. We represent the church. Think of how Christ 
achieves his status of honor and glory. How does Christ achieve the position of highest honor? He went to the cross. The cross is a real life symbol of dishonor and shame, but that's exactly what Christ did to achieve his status of a glorious king. Christ does not call us to die for the sins of man on the cross, but Christ calls us to take up our cross and follow him. And being a disciple of Christ means suffering persecution in the name of Christ. Those who have ears to hear, let him hear. Again, I am not saying it's wrong to move out of state if you have to go because your family's there, a job calls you, or it's just better for you. But I will say it is a wrong reason to retreat from the darkness when Christ has put light in you if you're afraid. If you are afraid. Because here's the cost of being a Christian. If you're, if you're a Christian in Southeast Asia, you might be killed. You might be put in prison. You might have your house burned. If you're a Christian in certain places of sub-Saharan Africa where Christianity is exploding, you might be killed. But if you're a Christian in California, it's gonna cost you. Parents, it's gonna cost you time and sacrifice if you homeschool. That's not just an easy answer, it costs time. If you go to Christian school, it costs money and that you know that's not a, a direct answer either. And if your kids go to public school, then it costs you that rather than us being put to jail, okay, is that you have to face the reality that this is the world we're called to engage. That means our kids will come back constantly at a very young age with unbelieving ideas. You will have to, rather than be, being put in prison, your taxpayer's money will go to a very liberal agenda. So you have a choice to retreat, to save your pocketbook, and to think that if you go back in to a place where everybody else around you changes, that that's how we answer the problem? You see what I'm saying? It's too easy to blame darkness for being darkness and to say we need to move into the light when God has called us to be light because that's exactly what Jesus did. He engaged the darkness. He knew that they would crucify him. They, he knew that they would not receive him in order for people like you and me, Gentiles, to come to faith. So I'm calling you once again. Will you be light in dark places? And this is not the darkest place in the world. Will you be light in dark places? There are times I'm tempted, I'm deeply tempted, that I need to just move into Orange County. Because I think like you. You look at, you look at the tax money. You, you look at LA County and, and, and the liberalism. You look at the crime that's allowed. But I'm reminded of where I am called. So there's a cost for us. It's different from our brothers and sisters around the world, but we can not have fear. I want you to notice that the scales of spiritual blindness are multi-layered. The human heart was created to love God, but due to the fall of man, we naturally love everything in this world that will keep us from God. We naturally love what God hates. Even when our hearts express the desire to believe in Christ, we, we are quickly pulled back into darkness. I'm saying that pastors must preach prophetically to your people. 
I am preaching to people who are generally conservative. So I am calling you to say, yes, it's easy for us to point out doctrinal error and liberalism, but we love our money and our comfort. My brothers and sisters in Christ who are preaching the gospel of truth to more progressive circles, they need to be pro prophetic and speak to their people to come to the truth. We pastors need to speak prophetically to our people. The people here, they believed in their hearts that Jesus was real. They could see it, but, but they would be pulled back into darkness because they feared losing what was important to them. And Jesus hits us in the pocketbook. Let's move to point number two. I think we can cover some of this at a high level. Point number two, we've seen the reasons people reject Christ. But now we see the repercussions of rejecting Christ. And once again, this pushes towards the gratitude that we must have because Jesus has saved us. Under this second major point, there are three repercussions, and we're going to take this at a higher level. Okay? The first repercussion of rejecting Christ is that people remain spiritually blind. Notice verses 44 to 46. It says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Okay? I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And that's what I want to hit on. May not remain in darkness. Right? Because we need some clarity there. So first, verse 44 is clear. Whoever believes in Christ believes in God the Father who sent him. John 14, verse 6. John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So to believe in Jesus, uh, to believe in God, means to trust and surrender your entire being to Christ as king over every area of your life. Verse 45, whoever can see me sees God, right? Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. And that again shows that whoever sees that Jesus is son of God will see God. Verse 46 is where I want to camp out. Notice what it says. Jesus came into the world as light. He came as light and that whoever believes in him may not remain in darkness. And last week I mentioned, once again, that God put the light in us. You see, when, when it says we may not remain in darkness, this is, again, not saying that Jesus is going to take us out of dark places, right? He calls us to be salt and light in a world of darkness. So what this, what this simply means is that the power of darkness will not continue to be in you. The word remain talks about, it speaks of a sphere of darkness. And this again should help you understand what we're up against. If we want to engage a dark world, you understand what we're talking about? The church has sin and the church must deal with our sin. But once you exit the four walls, you are in a different sphere, a different realm. You're entering into something called the world system. And so that is darkness. And so when people are living in this sphere of darkness, they're under Satan. They're under blindness and the hardness of heart. They are slaves to spiritual oppression. And so when Jesus rescues you, you basically no longer remain under the power of the reign of Satan in that sphere of darkness. You're transferred into the sphere of light. 
But that doesn't mean that you can just live in the church. Yes, we've installed showers, but you can't live here. You can't sleep over here. Where our, our, our use permit doesn't even permit for public housing. So you need to go home. And as you go home, as you go into your schools and your workplaces, you're going in, back into that realm of darkness. That's the first thing, is the people who reject Christ remain in the sphere of darkness. But second consequence, or second repercussion is that they will face final judgment. You know, oftentimes I look at the world, I'm like, God, why don't you judge people now? And I get humbled right away because God says, then I would have judged you now, but I gave you a chance and I'm waiting for more people that, that God is gonna bring to his son, right? Now notice verses 47, 48, and I want you to notice in verse 48, the final word, last day. The last day, that's the final judgment. When Jesus returns, there will be a judgment. Verse 47, it says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And that's talking about Jesus' first coming. <clears throat> During his first coming, he came to offer salvation by going to the cross. But when he returns, he will come as judge. And then in verse 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words, they do have a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. And that is crazy, is that the very words that the people reject, the words of the gospel, will be used to judge people for rejecting the gospel. That's simply what's going on in that passage. And then in verses 49 and 50, we see the third repercussion is which they will be judged for rejecting the highest authority. Is that Jesus Christ re represents the authority of God the Father. Notice verses 49 and 50. Verse 49 says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life, meaning the words of God lead to eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So those who reject Christ will face divine judgment. And Jesus' authority is rooted in the one who sent him. You see, so what we've seen today is that the reasons for and the repercussions of rejecting Christ magnify for me and you who believe in Christ, it magnifies the grace of God for, in our lives. The reasons people reject Christ reveal our inability to save ourselves from the repercussions of rejecting Christ. That we are totally unable to save ourselves. That even our logic is fallen. Do you understand that? That our reason is fallen. When we talk about total depravity, we are not talking about people walking around totally depraved. Why we're not saying that non-believers don't have goodwill or can't do moral good. What we are saying is the sin's depravity has impacted every facet of our being, our thinking, our feeling, our physical, our love, our desire. Every part of our body has been marred by sin to the point where if you leave us alone, and you, and you give us all the good arguments that we cannot, apart from God's help and his sovereign plan, come to saving faith. And as a Christian, that should bring you to celebrate the grace of God, gratitude for the sovereign grace of God. But it also helps you understand what you're up against. 
when we enter into the dark world. Again, our world is fallen in darkness, and so we cannot expect darkness to act like darkness. The big idea is that the grace of God enables us to see sin as our greatest problem and Christ as our only solution. You see, sin is our greatest problem and Christ is our only solution. Let me continue preaching to this topic of living the light and I'm going to be reinforcing some of this prophetically. People who reject Christ do so because they're under spiritual darkness. So do not be discouraged when you see the moral decline happening. I want to give you some good news. That sometimes we are so self-centered that somehow we thought that Europe and America own Christianity. Did you not know, some of you from Asia, you know this, that in the global south, Christianity is exploding. In persecuted countries, Christianity is growing. In places where Christianity is free, Christianity is moving towards liberalism. Go figure. Go figure. That has to be part of the sovereign plan of God. America does not have somehow copyrights, a copyright on the gospel. So we need to open our eyes to see that the church is moving, but the world maybe we used to send missionaries to dark places, and now they need to be sending missionaries to us because our people are too busy fighting the government rather than going out into the world. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Open your eyes and look in the mirror. So if you're serving as an officer, usher, or leader, or volunteer, and if you can't present the gospel, then shame on me. And so you say, Pastor, every single week you're telling us about Christ and the gospel. Well, there's a reason. Is that we're ill-equipped if someone comes to the church and says, tell me about Jesus, and you say, well, let me take you to the pastor. I think there's a problem with that. In your small groups, do you hear testimony? Do you know how to share your faith? In your Sunday schools, are you learning how to share your faith? Do not be discouraged as darkness gets darker. When you see a sinful problem, the world sees a tolerant solution. What you and I see as a biblical solution, the world sees as, problem, as a problem and bigotry. You see, God never said that the world would be the church. And it's time for the church, the conservative church, to start acting like the church. If you see that the problem is the government, you need to sit under different types of pastors because those pastors are preaching just like Israel's leaders. That it's a state problem, not a sin problem. And God has given us the gospel. 
If you recognize that the problem is spiritually blinding darkness coming upon people, a darkness that you and I were rescued from, then you will cherish the proclamation of the gospel and you will desire Christ crucified rather than Christ elected because Christ elected cannot save you, but Christ crucified saves you from sin and Christ crucified is what Israel and her leaders did not want. But if you have Christ crucified, then stop looking around you for a solution and look into the mirror because the light is in you not outside of you he who lives in you is greater than the enemy that lives outside of you stop waiting for the lost to turn the lights on for the dark stop waiting for your senators your governors and the president to turn on the light for the dark Jesus has turned on the light it's the church. Wake up and realize that Christ left us as his light for a dark world. Let us be a church that proclaims the glory of Christ and we are not ashamed that the gospel is our primary proclamation. If you want to talk more, I will be at the next steps table and you can come to me and we can talk about what it means to be the church in this society and if you want to receive Christ, come talk to me. Let's pray. Father, we as a conservative church, we repent for any partisanship that we espouse. We pray, Lord, that we would stop depending on darkness to turn on the light, but that we would be your light, that we would trust and obey you and be disciple makers, that we would take the Great Commission seriously, that we would understand what it means to make disciples, that we would not delegate discipleship to other people. Help us to be hungry to be light in a world of darkness. Help us not to be discouraged or afraid as the world gets darker and darker, but help us see that the answer is the light that you've placed within us because the dark world is under spiritual slavery. Soften hearts and open eyes to your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.